Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Peyton Burton. What is up, you guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 135. I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton. Joining me again today are a pair of my teammates, Peyton Burton, Corey Gardner. What a special rivalry Saturday it was, fellas. Man, it was an absolute beautiful day. Fellas, I think that sums it up perfectly right there. Um, as you can see, the title of the show today, if you're watching along on the YouTube, the Twitter, and the Facebook, Hoosiers Take Down Purdue. We will get into all that and more. But, Corey, I see you rocking your IU gear, man. Uh, talk to us about at the top of the show, kind of your thoughts on IU, the emotions of the win, and rivalry Saturday as it was. Man, it was an absolute beautiful day for college basketball. Indiana came in at home and absolutely dominated the day. Uh, made it a little interesting there at the end, but, you know, came away with a great win. Was very close to my prediction. And, by the way, we knocked off number one. We beat our rival back-to-back years at home. Uh, Purdue, better luck next year. Man, I probably shouldn't have played that intro, that uh, the This Is Indiana song, because I don't want certain people to get sensitive out there and, you know, say some shit about the coming up and fighting me and all this other shit. Like, I ain't gonna worry about that. But anyways, yeah, it was a big game, big slate of games. When, uh, Saturday night, there's a lot of rivalry games. Uh, North Carolina, or Duke beat North Carolina, to be fair. And like we mentioned, Thursday or Wednesday is one of the most least anticipated games in this rivalry, especially in recent years. It's the first time those two teams faced off uh, being unranked in like the last, I think, like five matches or something like that. Um, but yeah, Indiana beat Purdue. That was the matchup that everyone wanted to see, including myself. And yeah, I got my I got my Kansas gear on, and yeah, we kind of got our ass with, but who really gives a shit about that? Well, we're going to get into the Indiana-Purdue, the Duke-Carolina Kansas, I will say we're going to get in all that. we got a couple things at the top of the show we want to take care of first. First of being, guys, as always, this podcast is presented by House Enterprise and in part with the House of College Troop. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, for more information. You know, Will, Jake, all of them, we're happy to be part of the team, doing great work over there. we got our friends, The Road to the Garden, daily articles, multiple articles covering the landscape of the Big East Conference. Good stuff. Go check out it at house-enterprise.com. Also, got to give some love to our title sponsor of everything college basketball this year, Beauty to Beast Nutrition, located in downtown Edinburgh, Indiana. It is a healthy juice bar. Stop in, get yourself a skinny shot tea, a protein coffee, a protein smoothie, and you tell them ECB sent you, you get 10% off your entire purchase, no matter the drink limit. Good people to be in business with. It is a, it's a fun time to be a part of everything college basketball. Fellas, at the top of the show, I know everybody's here. They want to hear our thoughts, our breakdowns of the games from Rivalry Saturday, and we will get there. But as always, there is some house cleaning that we do need to take care of. The first thing on the docket, I do want to talk about the biggest asshole in college basketball, and that is Jim Beheim. You talk about a cat who has overstayed his welcome. It felt like 10 years ago that he said, oh, I'm about to retire in four. We're still here. 
he's still here. He is bitching and moaning and complaining about everything going on in the world of college basketball. And his most recent, like in the last couple of weeks, he has bitched out reporters um, for questions that they have asked. And now here we are. He did an article with Pete Thamel. I'm trying to find, oh, right here it is. He did an article with Pete Thamel. And this is a, a quote, a, a little piece from that article here. This is, I, and I quote straight from Jim Beheim's mouth. This is an awful place we're in in college basketball, he said. Pittsburgh bought a team. Okay, fine. My big donor talks about it, but he doesn't give anyone any money. Nothing. Not one guy. Our guys make like 20000 Wake Forest bought a team. Miami bought a team. It's like, really? This is where we are? This really, this, or sorry, that's really where we are, and it's only going to get worse. And um, Steve Forbes from Wake Forest came out pretty pissed off, as he should be, and said that they've never bought a player in their life, um, this, that, and the other. Guys, it must suck to get that old and that irrelevant with a losing team year in and year out to be that salty. Me and Corey were talking about this before Josh, you hopped on with us before he was going to start the show. And we were talking about this. Like, if he doesn't like the landscape of college basketball, if he doesn't like this NIL era that went in, then why is he coming back to college basketball to coach next year? He's coming back to, co to collect a paycheck. That's exactly what he's doing. He hasn't done shit in the last, like, five years. He hasn't been really relevant. They've been... Syracuse as a team has been finishing either bottom half or middle half of the ACC conference. He hasn't done anything. He's not getting the top recruits anymore like he has in the past. And if he wants to talk about buying teams, buying players, and all this other crap, what about Carmelo Anthony? I'm sure did Carmelo Anthony go to Syracuse for academics? No. Did he come there to play play basketball? 100%. But did was there some price, some money involved? Maybe we don't know. That's speculation. But I mean, come on now. If you're gonna complain about Miami buying teams and uh, Pittsburgh, whoever the hell he says, first of all, you're Syracuse. You should be above them anyways. What are the buying players? What are they doing? You're Syracuse. You got the largest arena in college basketball, holds 30,000 fans, or over 30,000 fans. You should be better than them, and you're not. Quit bitching and shut the hell up. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, if he doesn't like the landscape of college basketball, I mean, it's at the most exciting time right now. Kids are staying around a lot longer now that the NIL deals are in place. And, you know, guys are guys are getting compensated for their, you know, images. And, I mean, if you're not with it, then, you know, you're you're out of the game. And his 2-3 zone is something that's, you know, been ran the same it's exact way for years. It, yes, it's 100%. antiquated. Everybody 100%. knows it. It's, yeah, and it's like, you know, if, if you can't adapt to the game, then the game's going to pass you up, and that's just how it is. And, you know, the fact that he came out and says, well, expect me to come back in 23-24, it's like, all right, you can't just keep coming out saying these things and talking about how bad of a place it is, but you still come back. Hayden said it perfectly. You're there for a paycheck. You're not there for the game anymore. It's ridiculous. And if I'm a high-level recruit, why would I want to go play for a guy who's upset that I could potentially make some money? I mean, no. honest to God, this is the landscape. Right. But he's OK with taking like as our guy Phil mentioned on Twitter, he's OK making tens of millions of dollars in his career. But God forbid a, a kid gets 100 grand right off of his name, image and likeness. These are the rules now. And then to call out other coaches that you're supposed to be in this coaching fraternity with. Um, he's salty and he's an asshole. And you take this comment and you take how he's been treating student reporters and just his whole history. He's a no, jackass. 100%. He's no, it's a 100%. Jackass. It's a lack of respect. It's a lack of, you know, I mean, and it's exactly, he thinks that he's above and beyond 
because he's been in the game for what 47 years he's 78 years old get out of it go retire go right off into the sunset and leave Syracuse to come on to someone better and that takes it on the new you know the new era of the game and takes Syracuse back to where they should be I mean well, like Peyton a- said you have 30,000 you know seats in the stands and you can't fill it like you're at the bottom half of the ACC like you're in I mean the ACC should be a conference that's easily competitive in for you right there right now and you can't even compete in it well and that's a great point as well because you look this is almost like Shakespearean because this is the man who literally built Syracuse basketball they had no history prior to Jim Behan. he builds the program to national prominence almost blue blood status as great as they were in the big east days but yet he's also the same man that is tearing Syracuse basketball down now because they've went from you go back to 2013 2012, 2011, 2010, right before they made the jump to the ACC, Syracuse was number one in the country. They were getting top recruiting classes. They were making final fours every couple years. But now they have fallen so far. And I know they had the – I wasn't the COVID year that they made the lead eight or they made the final four. Uh, yeah, what, something like that. But they had to get in as a play-in team. So, yes, that shit will happen sometimes. But here on out, like, Syracuse is – they went from like an A-level program down to C-plus at best, and that's a harsh reality, and it's because of Bayheim. So, you, again, you have that Shakespearean um, tragedy and triumph, or triumph and tragedy, because he builds it, but he's the one tearing it down. And Syracuse, if I'm their administration, I know he's beloved, I'm finding a way to force him out. He's like, got He's got to go, man, because like you said, it feels like he's holding Syracuse hostage now. Like, he don't want them to move on from him. He wants to be the guy. And he this isn't the old Big East days where Syracuse was a national powerhouse and just if they're not winning the Big East every year, they at least finish in top three. Once they made the move to ACC, I don't know how many times that they've made uh, have been finished outside of the top five in the ACC conference. I know there's been a lot of times that they finish outside of the top five in the ACC conference. So just he doesn't want to adapt, and he feels like he's holding this program hostage. Yeah, he did build them up, but now he's starting to tear them down. He don't want to leave, and he's going to have to if, they, if Syracuse wants to get somewhere back to being relevant every year. Yep. And uh, speaking of relevant right now, uh, you guys all know we, we covered the Gigi Jackson um, and a lot of publications. The number one player in this most recent class in college basketball is freshman right now. He reclassified. He'd originally committed in North Carolina and then decommitted and goes to South Carolina. Uh, there was a whole controversy around that recruitment that it was his family that wanted him to go to South Carolina. He's been putting up numbers for a very bad South Carolina team. Well, apparently the shit's hit the fan because our guy Phil made it known to us last night or this morning that Gigi went on his Instagram live and started complaining about the coaching staff not getting the ball. And here's some audio from that Instagram live. I'm going to try to play it right here. I don't get it. What's good, Chris, bro? Like, can you help me answer that question, Chris, bro? Why do Why do I have the ball in my hands when it's crunch time, bro? Ain't I supposed to be the this? Oh my God, GG. I don't see myself as that, but ain't I supposed to be quote unquote that? Like, just give me that, motherfucker. And that was from Gigi Jackson, a little snippet from his Instagram live, obviously answering questions from some of his followers and friends 
about why Gigi does not have the ball in crunch time. Um, you know, South Carolina played a very close game, had Arkansas down, had them dead to rights, and Arkansas squeaks one out in South Carolina. Uh, your guys' thoughts on this. Um, I, I'm just going to say this. I'm not surprised because, you know, he went to South Carolina. We knew they weren't going to be good, and I think this is kind of starting to be a reality now that he's a, a big fish in a small pond. No, absolutely. I mean, and right there is a prime example of a teammate that can tear you down. You you have a you know a cancer in the you know the locker room and stuff like that. Is he great? You know, is he a good basketball player? Absolutely. But at the same time, it's like you can't take shots at your team or shots at your coaching staff on social media and outside the locker room. I mean, all it does it just starts making a very bad look for you, in my opinion. I mean, I know I know the game's ever changing and stuff like that, but it's like at the same time, man, like you got to have some respect. Like, that's where it all comes down to, and that's just a lack of it. Like, you know, I mean, just going out and just dropping it out like that is just, you know, just very much a lack of, in my opinion. Peyton, let me ask you, if you're head coach Lamont Paris and, or you're his teammates like Michi Johnson and you see him go off like this, what are your thoughts and how do you handle this? Uh, I don't think you play him because he's going to be gone after this year anyways. So I don't think you play him. Set him. You're not making the tournament. You're nowhere near making the tournament. You're at the bottom half of the SEC. And if he's going to act like this, then set his ass on the bench and don't play him. If he that, that and it, if anyone's going to play, complain about that, then it's his fault. Because the quote that pisses me off about this is, Gigi Jackson said, bro, I'm not even getting plays drawn up for me in the crunch time, bro. That's his exact quote. How about this? You don't. If you're that talented of a player, you don't need plays drawn up for you. Go get the damn ball. Go if you want the ball in crunch time. If you want to be the guy, Kobe Bryant didn't need plays drawn up for him. He just needed to get the ball in his hands. Michael Jordan the same way. Everybody else is Kevin Durant the same way. They don't need plays drawn up for him in crunch time. Just give him the ball and let him go to work. That's well, I, his I, fault. I've got a. I think it's a pretty good comparison. You look at what Imani Bates is doing. He's playing for a really bad Eastern Michigan team, but he's putting up tons of numbers, both points, rebounds, and assists. He's dropping dimes because the ball, he is making sure the ball's in his hands. Again, Eastern Michigan's not good, but he is putting up incredible numbers and it's kind of rehabbed his image coming over from Memphis. Um, two completely different spectrums. And if Gigi should have known that he was going to play on a bad South Carolina team, this is a case, I understand your family wants you to go somewhere, but this is your decision. If you wanted to go to North Carolina, you should have went to North Carolina and played for a better team. Yeah, I mean, you got to know the deal here. No, absolutely, 100%. And I agree with Peyton. You know, sit his ass down. Like, it's just that flat out honest. Like, you know what, make a point. And, you know, you, you're at the point now where it's not going to hurt you, but it's going to sit there and show, the, you know, show him that he can't do this stuff. I mean, and the thing is, you know, if, if he's as good as what he is, he should be able to, you know, create and he should demand the ball. I mean, you look at, you know, other top players in the, you know, in the, the country. I mean, look at Zach Eady. Zach Eady's sitting there stepping up for his teammates. Zach Eady's sitting there demanding the ball. Too. And, yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, that's the perfect kind of, you know, conversation turn. But it's like right there is a prime example of a guy that's a great teammate that's still doing, and, you know, the best player on the floor every night. And it's like right there is what a true teammate and a true, you know, a true leader looks like what he just did is not any of those characteristics. And that's at my point sitting, you know, don't even give him the opportunity. And here's the thing I worry about Gigi is yes, he's a young kid. He's what 18, 19 years old. And to that point, I get it because in high school, dude, you were the best player. But when you get in these higher levels, what's going to happen next year? Cause he's probably going to still be a lottery pick. He's going to be playing with grown men. 
Is he going to act like that with grown men and the NBA next year? Do you think he's going to, as a rookie, he's going to be the guy that's like, oh, I need the ball in my hands in crunch time? Like, are you, is he going to tell, I don't know, let's say he goes to the Miami Heat. Is he going to tell Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero and all these other, is he going to tell you Donis Haslam, hey man, I should get the ball over a, an eight-time All-Star and Jimmy Butler, whatever he is. Like, is that how he's going to act? Because some grown men's not going to put up with that. No, absolutely. They're not going to put up with the NBA. Somebody's going to grab him by the throat and put him up against the locker and say, look, you either grow up or get out. Like that's, and that's where it needs to happen. Like, well, how many top prospects did we see get ran out the NBA? Oh, uh, numerous. And it's like, I swear there's so many of them that have been at such a high level at the high school level that they never got coached up or never really got taught or at the college level, they came in for their one and done year. And it's like, then they got in the pros and it was like, they didn't know how to handle the adversity. And this is another prime example of it. He has no idea what adversity is or what happens when he's not the man. And right now he is not the man. And it's because of comments like this His prime examples. Maybe, you know, he's, he's losing trust in his coaching staff, his coaching staff and teammates are losing trust in him. And who's to say that, you know what, if something does happen again, he's going to come out and say, well, this is because of somebody else. And next thing you know, he's just going to start dissing on even more people other than his coaches. Completely agree, man. Uh, Gigi's got all the talent in the world, but he's got to grow up and start taking some accountability. And if you guys hear some background noise, I am babysitting right now, little two-year-old. Uh, so he's out here having fun. So I apologize I thought Gigi was in the background, my bad. Oh, hey, Gigi, you, you playing with your little race cars? Yeah. <laughs> no, um, but none of the other, I mean, yeah, Gigi's got to grow up, man. Uh, not not a good look, not a good look at all, and it'd be interesting to see what Coach Lamont Paris and his teammates decide to do moving forward. But the other kind of um, piece of house cleaning we want to talk about, it's going to spark a big debate. We've talked about this for years. Indiana wins the game, and we will get into that, I promise you, but they rush the floor. Now, I've always said, here's my rules for rushing the floor. If you have no tradition and you beat somebody worthy, yeah, rush the floor. If in Indiana's case, even if you have some tradition, but you've had such a terrible, terrible spell like they did when they knocked off Kentucky back in 2011, I could understand that. Okay. But man, you just beat Purdue last year. You are a, the number 21 ranked team in both the ECB and the AP poll. You were favored in this game and you rushed the floor. And I don't want to hear this like, oh, they're college students. I think that this is a cultural deal. If you look at society now, like a societal deal is what I meant to say. If you look at society now, nobody cares really too much about traditions and histories. Oh, it's about what we want, what we want now. My thought is for a program like Indiana that was favored, that was ranked, that just beat this Purdue team at home last year, that has a chance to do big things in the Big Ten still and in the NCAA tournament, you cannot brag to other people, other fan bases that we're Indiana and we have this and we have that, but in the same breath, disrespect your own tradition by rushing the floor. Because you know who didn't rush the floor last night? St. Mary's did not rush the floor after beating Gonzaga. So if you're, are you saying that St. Mary's, after beating a good Gonzaga team that was ranked higher than them, uh, that has no tradition, they don't rush the floor. Are you saying they have more respect for their own tradition in basketball than Indiana does? And I know this is going to spark a lot of debate, but I did not like the court storm. 
Here's the real kicker to that. You talking about St. Mary's and how are, you, are they saying that St. Mary's is a better program than them? Here's the real kicker to that. Here's what this is going to piss a lot of Indiana fans off. How about Purdue? Anytime Purdue beats Indiana and Macarena, do they rush the court? Do they do it? And they're supposed to be little brother? That's the thing for me. Like, if you're calling Purdue little brother and you want to make fun of them having no titles and you had five titles, that's all fine and dandy. Don't rush the court once you beat them. Because this should be a given. This should be an every time you guys play Purdue in Assembly Hall, you should be expecting to beat Purdue. And to my knowledge, or not to my knowledge, but to my understanding of this, is like, are you guys going to do this every year that you beat Purdue in the semi hall? Doesn't matter what the rankings are, you're just going to rush forward? Because this is two times in a row. Me and Corey talked about it earlier before the show started. Like, last year I gave Indiana fans a somewhat pass. I still didn't like it, but I gave them a somewhat pass because they haven't beat Purdue in a, a while. So I gave them a somewhat pass. But this year, I mean, you was a favorite to win the game. You won the game. No surprise that you end up winning. But you still rushed the four? What are you doing? I don't like it, man. No, 100%. I mean, as an Indiana fan especially, it's like, you know, back when Bob Knight was there, you know, Coach Knight 100% spoke out publicly about this. Was You know, you come into the game expecting to win every single matchup, no matter who it is against, and that's exactly what it should be. And Coach Woodson played for, you know, Coach Knight, and why that, why that same exact statement has been presented and carried on, 100% should be. Like, you know, this, the court storming, I agree with Josh's rules, 100%. There's two things that should go by. You know, no tradition or, you know, a, a slight uptick that, you know, causes it. But it's like, last year I understood it. You know, it had been, what, nine matchups. And, you know, Indiana had been at a rough place. But at the same time, like, this year, Indiana was predicted Big Ten favorites. Indiana, you know, was ranked. You know, Purdue was ranked a little bit higher. But at the same time, and the betting odds in Vegas, you're picking projected winners. Like, there's nothing that in this game that dictates that you should rush the court. And it's like, you know, the, this argument of let them have fun. They're college kids. Kids don't understand tradition. That's all absolute bull crap. Like, That's, you can go on campus anywhere at IU and ask them about the, about the traditions or the history of Indiana basketball, and I would say 90% of students know about it there. And like, Thank the you. Thing, like, that's the, the thing that drives me nuts. It's like, that's the worst argument and there is out there possible. It absolutely drives me insane. It's like Thank these you. kids, these Thank kids you, are there Corey. for a reason. Like, you, yeah, you're saying that kids in Indiana, you could go down to the, like you mentioned, you go down to the majority of the sororities and fraternities and ask them about Indiana basketball. Oh, yeah, we won a title in 87. We won a Big Ten title in 92 or whatever. They know this stuff. They are not stupid. They know the history and tradition. And if they don't, it is beaten in their head, especially for the kids who grew up in the state of Indiana. You almost have yes. no choice but to know because that is your yes. bragging points. If you yes. care about the program, that's your bragging points. You know you yes. have five national titles. You, you know you have all these Big Ten titles. You know yes. all the players who came through. That's your 100%. bragging points. But all of a sudden, and now these college kids, oh, they don't understand and know truth. They know and, oh, yeah. they want to have fun? What do you think Indi Indiana is notorious for a party school? Do you don't think that after the game they weren't going to go hit every bar in town to celebrate? Yeah, you don't think they're playing Sink the Biz down at Knicks like after the game? Or you don't think they're doing many other things? Like, come on. it Literally, you're a college kid. Like, every college kid is out there partying no matter what. And it's like and you can't sit there and use that as a tool or as a reason. Like, that's a horrible excuse for rushing the floor. Like, absolutely and horrible. And how about just a couple of weeks ago, Jerome Tang at Kansas State, who has far less tradition than Indiana, 
gets on the mic. They have a court rush, right? And he says, this is the one and only because from here on out, we expect to win. I do not want to see another court rush because we are expected to win. Is there no reason that in the past, Tom Crean or Archie Miller or now Mike Woodson, somebody who, as you mentioned, played for Bob Knight and understands as well as anybody the tradition of Indiana, can't tell these guys no more court rushes because we are expected to win. Yes. You want and to how sign you- the Indiana oh, sorry, real quick. You want to sign the yes. Indiana is truly back among the elite of college basketball is the day that they win a big time game like this and they don't rush the floor because Kentucky doesn't rush, Kansas doesn't rush. Duke doesn't rush. I mean, I would say North Carolina, but a couple years ago, they did rush the floor. But most of the time, North Carolina doesn't rush. Okay? You want to sign Indiana as truly back and well amongst the Blue Bloods of college basketball, you win a big-time game at home, and you won't rush the floor. Absolutely. And how do you, you know, how do you preach and talk about bringing back the traditions and bringing back the alumni and making Indiana basketball, you know, the past and, you know, part or, you know, a part of the you know present the future and it's like how do you bring all that stuff in but you still are more than accepting of a court rush like that's not possible at all if you're going to allow you know the past legends of indiana basketball come around the program speak to the players and do so much with the program then you need to install that exact same thing throughout the entire program and the thing is you said it perfectly kansas state sits there and makes that announcement guess what mike woodson needs to make that same exact announcement it's like if you're going to be a part of a blue blood and you want to hold that, you know, reputation, then you have to 100% honor it. And right now, Indiana is not honoring it. Just like the song we played at the very top, this is Indiana. I know yes. the tradition. You know the tradition. Peyton knows the tradition. Phil knows it. Everybody knows Indiana basketball. Act Can we just like mention Indiana one thing that you just said there? What's that? Can we just mention one thing? Phil talks about that this is a regional rivalry. He's not even in the region, and he understands what this rivalry means in about Indiana basketball. Like this Thank is a hundred percent a national rivalry. This is the biggest rivalry in all of college basketball this year, and somehow, you know, it's missed or misconstrued this weekend. And then you know the fact that Indiana and the very first thing when this game gets you know sent down to North Carolina for that big you know big huge matchup, the very first thing they're talking about and calling out Indiana basketball for rushing the floor. Like, this is nationally known what Indiana basketball is about, and it's absolutely ridiculous the kids rush the floor. Purdue is the little brother. You know what their big, huge topic was uh, introductions? Matt Painter's been to six Sweet 16. Or, yeah, six Sweet 16s. They have zero titles. Indiana has titles. Be a blue blood. Be about the tradition. Be about the history. Stop rushing the floor. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. You want to get back to that elite category with the Kentucky, with the Kansas, Duke, Carolina? Act like it. That's the first step. Act like you belong. That's all. And I'll leave it at that. But let's get into the Indiana-Purdue game. I know a lot of people are here for that. Guys, what a fun game this was. Purdue had one lead, or well, I'm sorry, their last lead of this game. They were up, was it, 5-4 in this ball game. And after that, Indiana took over, dominated the game, and end up getting a very key marquee win that really does establish. We kind of have question marks, especially after losing to Maryland midweek. Is Indiana the surge that we've seen the last couple of weeks? Are they for real? I think they answered the questions. They're pretty damn for real again. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Indiana, honestly, it was an unfair matchup against Purdue because it was a six on five matchup the entire night. Assembly Hall was showing up on the Richter scale, and it was absolutely rocking the entire time. Um, the pressure and the you know the defensive performance that Indiana put forth 
was absolutely, you know, I, you know, locked down impressive and they hit shots. I mean, they shot 65% for the majority of the first half. I think he got down to 62% at halftime. And the second half, Purdue came out. Everybody knew they were going to make a run. It was just if Indiana could, you know, withstand it. And Indiana, you know, fought, had some, you know, empty possessions. But when it really mattered, they hit free throws. They answered back. They matched baskets. And, you know, Indiana came out with a huge win. It was an absolute great day. Peyton, I, I think uh, – sorry, I, I was going to throw it to you, but I, I think a key – obviously, Edie's going to get his. He ended up with 33 and 18 rebounds. He's just so impossible to stop. But I think the key for Indiana, as we talked about on episode 134, shut down them freshman guards and a guy like Mason Gillis. You know, Braden Smith had four points. Uh, Fletcher Lure ended up with 12, but those were late in the second half. Mason Gillis had five points. Indiana did a tremendous job shutting everybody else down, not named Zach Eady, and I think that was the key to this game. I really think guy, a guy like Trey Sasson Davis really got in Mason Gillis' head uh, very early on. It set the yep. tone early on. Uh, that one play when Mason Gillis went up to block, I forgot, I don't know if it was Malik Winnow or whoever it was. Uh, yeah, it was. It, yeah, it was when uh, I thought that's who it was. He went up to block him. It was a hard foul. Um, I think it was a basketball play. I don't think it was anything more than that. And TJG obviously was going to sneak up with his teammate, hit him in the chest a little bit, and Mason Gills started laughing at him, pointing at him. And then a couple possessions later, Mason Gills has a wide-open layup. Wide-open layup. He doesn't take it because he sees in the corner of his eye, Trace Action Davis, right there. Very close. Definitely could have blocked the shot. And he was so scared that TJD was going to block the shot that he didn't shoot it and ended up traveling. That was a turnover. Turnover was a big thing in the first half for Purdue. Turnovers and free throws. They missed a lot of free throws and had very costly, uh, uncharacteristic turnovers. And I think that's credit to IU's defense. And you mentioned the Simmery Hall. Corey, you mentioned the Simmery Hall, how Purdue was playing 6 or 5 and how loud the Simmery Hall was. TJD had, I think, about five dunks in the first half. He was dominant. And every dunk, it just kept getting louder. And it just kept getting louder. And as Pat Patterson once said, this place is going banana. 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 And uh, raise your hand if you expected IU to go up 15 points heading in the second half. Because I did not. Especially without hitting shots. I didn't think so. Peyton, and I don't want to toot my own horn, but here we go. Toot, toot. Uh, you go back to episode. You, yeah, you go back to episode one thirty four. We had that debate. I said assembly hall is going to matter. They're going to rattle the freshmen, and that's exactly what happened. Like Braden Smith, four points. He did have six assists, but he had the one costly turnover down the stretch that pretty much sealed the deal. He wasn't great in this ball game. Neither was Fletcher Lawyer, despite hitting the or getting the twelve points. He only hit his one three. Um, and Indiana and the atmosphere rose to the occasion. Trace Jackson Davis, twenty five points, seven rebounds. Five blocks in this ball game. What a tremendous showcase for the big men that we've talked about. Zach Eady, Trace Jackson Davis. And then you got to shout out guys like Jalen Hood Shafino, who big time shots. He had that scoop layup down when Purdue had cut it down to one. He goes and attacks Zach Eady, gets a scoop layup to give Indiana a three point lead. And by the way, Indiana did something I didn't expect. We talked about it. I thought Indiana had to spread them out, shoot the three. Indiana went straight out Eady. They went multiple times at Zach Eady. He did have three blocks, but they just put their body into him and said, we're going to finish over you or draw a foul. Indiana's game plan. And I also do want to give a special shout out to the freshman Caleb Banks. With foul trouble, he had to play seven minutes in this ballgame because the backcourt of Indiana was in some foul trouble. He came in four points. He played hard. He had, uh, did he get a steal? 
Uh, no, he didn't have a steal, but he played hard. I thought he gave him good seven minutes. Tamar Bates, even though he had three points, I thought he gave him good minutes. And I just it, – what an impressive performance by the Hoosiers. Purdue, 16 turnovers. Corey, your boys look real good in this game. No, 100%. I mean, Indiana flat out was all over the court. And the one thing that, you know, a lot of people talked about was wondering how Purdue would deal with athleticism from another team. Indiana was flying around the court. Indiana looked like the aggressors in this game. And you mentioned it perfectly. Indiana went straight at Zach Eady and got him in foul trouble early, uh, kept attacking him. And, you know, Eady kind of shied away from it. It was something that, you know, nobody's really done. Everybody's kind of played, you know, skittish around him. And, you know, I mean, attacking him early, getting him those two fouls early in the first half, that third one in the second, you know, just really kind of changed the the outcome of him. I mean, and, you know, uh, Trace Jackson Davis, 100% having five blocks, and he dictated and changed the outcome of so many other shots. It's just, you know, had guys off balance, had guys worried, had guys forcing passes. I mean, and Zach Eady, I mean, he had five turnovers alone. I mean, just Indiana flat out flew all over the court. There's one play that, you know, really stuck out. Miller Cobb, you know, diving for a loose ball, uh, doesn't have a chance to really get it, but all he does is just slaps it as hard as he can into the backcourt with two seconds on the shot clock. Next thing you know is, is you know, Purdue's passing it in in front of their own bench and have to throw, you know, a Hail Mary down to try and, you know, capture or, you know, a catch and shoot basically turns into an empty possession. I mean, there's so many plays in this game that change the outcome or that really forced the outcome for Indiana that, you know, just really stood out. But Indiana looked like the better team tonight and looked like the aggressor. Trace Jackson Davis had a hell of a game, but he had a lot of help in this one as well. You mentioned Jalen Hood Shafino. Big time play, that little scoop layup going right out of Zach Eady. Great move by Jalen Hood Shafino. Really bad defense with Zach Eady. And that type of play, when the game's on the line like that, you can't play towards the left. You gotta, especially when you're seven foot four, you gotta go challenge that. You gotta cut him off and make him earn his way at the free throw line. But he didn't. Jalen Hood Shafino capped it off, go up 75 70. Played great. Trey Galloway, I think, played great. 11 points, 4 of 8 from the field. He had a rebound. Um, he was killing them on those little, like, zipper cuts coming off a little screen, heading into the middle. Um, I think he played well. Josh mentioned Caleb Banks played well. Uh, Miller Klopp hit a couple shots. Purdue, though, I mean, J- J- uh, Trace Action Davis was great. Very good. But there's no question in my eyes, Zach Eady was the best player on the floor. And the difference maker is that he was the best player in the floor, 33 points, 18 boards. But the reason IU won this game because IU had a lot more help than Zach Eady did. Zach Eady was the guy on this court. He's the one that wheeled them back in after being down 15 points heading into the second half. He's the guy. He's the guy that got this momentum going, both offensively and defensively, hitting a, uh, having a couple blocks, some huge rebounds. He's the guy that got them going. And if Purdue could have hit a couple shots, man, this game would be interesting. But hats off to IU. And Josh, I can't wait to be in Mackey Arena on February 25th. I can't wait to watch this know, match. Baby. That I place know. is going to be insane. I know, man. And Peyton, uh, Josh didn't tell you I'm replacing you on that night. Hell no, you ain't. Uh, a couple last things on this game. Yeah, Zach Eady just makes it look so easy. Like, if he gets anywhere near the rim, he's got a super soft touch around the rim for a, a seven foot four guy. He's unguardable, and I thought Trace it as well as he possibly could. It's just he's he's a handful. And, uh, Corey, I do want to ask you real quick. When Purdue closed it to one point with three minutes to go, 
how nervous were you that you guys were going to blow this? You know, when it was a one-point lead for Indiana, I still wasn't too nervous. It was more of if Purdue got the lead is where I was really going to be. You know, I didn't know how Indiana would respond if they're down in that instance. Um, you know, closing it to one, I, you know, I kind of, you know, I was running a lot of the Twitter stuff yesterday and I said, you know, Indiana just no matter what can't have empty possessions right here. And very next thing they came down and scored. Um, the biggest thing was the momentum shift was all, you know, seemed to be on Indiana's side quite a bit. Um, you know, it was just more of keeping that momentum and keeping the, you know, the strong surge. Um, so, you know, I can't say I was, you know, extremely nervous. It was more of nervous of an empty possession and Purdue taking any kind of lead at that point. One thing I'll say about that is I think Indiana did a good job, especially late in the stretch. When Purdue was making the run, they did not allow Purdue to take the lead because I believe if Purdue would have got the lead any point in that run, then I think Purdue wins this game. I think they might stretch it out because I think Indiana was gassed by the time that Purdue was making the run. They couldn't stop Zach Eady down low. Uh, def- offensively, they stopped doing what they do, and they started attacking the uh, basket. They were selling for a lot of jump shots beyond the arc, which they weren't doing in the first half. That's the reason they got that lead. So I think I think if Purdue would have got the lead at some point, I think this this is game's a different story, and I think Purdue wins this one. But Indiana I, 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 up winning. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was going to say last point on that, and I completely agree because we were watching it together. And I told, or we kind of said it together. If Purdue gets this lead, I think this is over with. How about a guy like David Jenkins, the Villanova transfer, coming in hitting some clutch shots down the stretch? But I do want to end this. So we talked about Braden Smith and his one lone turnover. Purdue was down, I think it was, what, three or four points late in the game. And Braden probed – he did a baseline drive and tried to kick to the corner to I think it was Mason Gillis and ends up throwing it right to an IU defender who they picked it Race off. Race Thompson. Ball. It, it was Race Thompson, right? The, and IU gets free throws, kind of seals the deal. After the game, in the post game, reporters was asking Braden Smith about this play, about the mistake – and this is where Zach Eady's leadership showed up. I'm going to try to play this clip and listen to it. Wide open and he was there open again for a split second. I just held on to it too long and he got there. Just to clarify, uh, that was one play, obviously, in a big moment. But every play is big in a game like this. Um, I had too many turnovers in the first half. Um, I didn't come out with the energy I needed. Um, obviously, that's a big play. And people might look at that, but you can point out three or four plays by everyone that could have um, made up that one possession. So it's not just on him, it's on the entire team. That is leadership, fellas. That is leadership. Not letting your freshman point guard take all the blame for one mistake. That is leadership from Zach Eady. GG Jackson, if you're out there, send me your address. I'll send you a notebook. You take notes on that because that's yep. what a true leader. That shows maturity. That shows exactly what you want in your locker room, your clubhouse, whatever it may be. That is an absolute dude. That is somebody you want in your program. That's awesome to hear out of him. Absolutely. I was about to say the exact same thing, Coy. Take notes, Gigi Jackson, because that's the best player in the country, and he's still standing up for his teammates and not letting them be down. Real quick, say on the Zach Eady point, though. There's something I want to mention just real quick that starts to get on my ears a little bit. I've been hearing this for the past, like, three weeks. And that can we stop this narrative that Zach Eady's only good because he's 7'4"? Can we stop that BS? Because Zach Eady's a great college basketball player. I don't give a damn if he's 7'4 or not. How many... Seven footers have Matt Painter had at Purdue. He's had a lot of them. And how many have has been as dominant as Zach Eady is? None of them. None of them at all. 
None of them has been as dominant as Zach Eadie. I'm not just talking about Purdue. I'm talking about the whole college basketball country. We've seen guys like Bobo, who's like seven foot five. We've seen guys like Taco Fall, who's like seven six. None of them, none of them was as dominant as Zach Eadie is today. In college basketball, he's the best college basketball player in the country. Stop this narrative that he's only good because he's seven foot four. Well, and the other thing is, Peyton, like you're kind of talking on, but you know, I was listening to some of the narrative and stuff about the game, and it's like Matt Painter literally has to wrap up shoot around, you know, ten to fifteen minutes early, just so that way Zach Eady can go through his entire workout, and he goes left hand, you know, over the paint, you know, doing hook shots. He goes the right hand. He goes bank shots. He goes, you know all around, you know, getting work in for 10 to 15 minutes alone in the gym by himself. On top of that, you know, showing his athleticism. I mean, Race Thompson sitting there sprinting down the, you know, the sideline trying to get the ball in and Edie's sliding his feet, you know, in a complete defensive stance and is keeping up with Race Thompson's full on sprinting over to the other side of the court. Like the kid is athletic as all get out at seven foot four. Like he is an absolute workhorse and he is absolutely one hundred percent, a great basketball player. Nothing Guys, taken he, from his side. He's a former baseball and hockey player that didn't even pick basketball up till later in his life. So, Indiana wins seventy nine seventy four. Great win for the Hoosiers in this rivalry game. The return leg is going to be very interesting, but it does tighten up the Big Ten race just a little bit. So, good win. Let's go to the other big rivalry that everybody was talking about. Duke, John Shire's first. North Carolina game wins 63-57. Peyton, talk to me about it. And how good was Derek Lively finally in a ball game? I think it's official. John Shire is the best Duke co- is best college basketball coach of all time. It's time to give him that honor because now he's 100% against UNC, and that's something Coach K can't say. All jokes aside, Duke played well. I mean, they got down early on in this game. North Carolina got up, I think, like six points at one point. Um, Duke was very rattled early on, especially they couldn't stop uh, North Carolina getting in transition. But then things started to flip. Jimmy Roach started getting going. Tyrese Proctor was, I think, amazing in this game. He had 11 points. He started getting going. And then the fucking, the tide started to switch him. They were the team that was being aggressive. They were the team that was getting out and getting in transition. And North Carolina couldn't stop them transition. But yeah, man, Kyle Filipowski had 14 points. He played good. But the start of the show, Duke does not win this game if it's if it's not for Derek Lively. He had four points, four points, two or three from the field, but he had 14 rebounds and he had eight blocks in this game. Corey, Derek Lively, this is the Derek Lively that we all expected coming into this year. And this was his coming out party. He played amazing in this game. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, and he did it without scoring the basketball. Like, he came out and made his impact in other ways. He, you know, hit the boards hard. He sat there and, you know, made a couple key passes around the floor. He absolutely dominated the defensive part of the floor by making his presence known. He dominated, you know, blocking shots, but he also, if he didn't get a block, he still was dictating shots. I mean, he forced UNC to, you know, to move the ball and get the ball away from him and take some shots that they probably didn't want to take just because of his presence down there. Like, he absolutely finally came out and had the game that we thought he could, and it was amazing that he did it without scoring the basketball. Like, that was the the impressive part. 
Oh, yeah, that was a real impressive part. And I think the key factor in this game wasn't just Derek Lively and his progression defensively. Um, I think a guy like Tyrese Proctor, I think he played well. And when he's on the floor and him and him and Jeremy Roach is on the floor together, I think it allows Jeremy Roach to be more of a scoring guard, be more of a shooting guard. That way he don't have to run the ball up the court. Because Tyrese Proctor, he's the guy that can initiate the offense. And when he's on the floor with Jeremy Roach, then it allows Jeremy Roach to go be more of a scoring guard, or be more of a scoring threat. And he had 20 points in this game seven rebounds. He played great as well. Hats off to Duke. A big, big time game. Uh, this is the first time they've beat North Carolina in this building in the last couple years. If North Carolina wouldn't have won this game in Cameron Indoor, that would have been three games in a row in Cameron Indoor that North Carolina would have won. So hats off to Duke hey, and hats Peyton, off to John quick, Shire. Real quick, I, again, going back to episode 134, we talked about this and I said I thought Jeremy Roach would have to play a key factor in this game. I had Duke winning this and we talked about Kale Bluff. He had 12 points in this game. Uh, didn't really shoot well from the field. Just, uh, I mean, does anybody really, both of these teams, honestly, Carolina's got eight losses now. But does anybody really trust either one of these teams, especially North Carolina right now? I don't trust North Carolina because when it gets down late in the stretch, they don't give the ball to the big man at all. They don't, there's a very uh, key moment in the game where North Carolina was down they needed a big bucket and they just refused to give the ball to Armando Paquette down low. They didn't give it to Caleb Love and he'd shoot one of his dumbass shots that he always does all season long. Or they'd give it to RJ Davis and he'd drive and turn it over and they don't give the ball to Armando Paquette. He's the best player in the ACC conference. Give him the ball. Please. I'm pleading to you. It's that simple. Post him up down low. At one point he had Ryan Young on him. Ryan Young, yep. give him the ball, please. Yeah, yeah this Caleb this Love may have no the. Sense. I was say Caleb Love may have the worst basketball IQ of anybody in any conference right now. Like just the the things he does, the things he forces, he may have the worst basketball IQ, and just doesn't make you know smart basketball plays at all. Nope. Big win for Duke. John Shire has got a hundred percent win record in this rivalry. Go. Um. Yeah, the goat, the baby goat, the baby goats. But uh, let's move on to Kansas, Peyton, because we started to think that they had it figured out. They win the Kentucky game last Saturday. They get the nice rivalry or revenge game earlier in the week against Kansas State, and then they walk into Iowa State. And Hilton magic is a real thing because Iowa State, from tip to or from whistle to final whistle, put a clinic on how to carve up Kansas with their back cuts, their ball movement, off ball movement. They won just about every loose ball, especially in the first half, and they beat up the Jayhawks 68-53. Hilton Coliseum is unbeaten for opposing teams right now this year. Uh, Iowa State, Peyton, talk about the Cyclones here because they are, I mean, they look like the real deal. I don't know real deal is in Final Four, but a real deal second weekend team and a team that still has a chance to win the Big 12. Indiana held home court against Purdue, Duke held home court against North Carolina, and Iowa State held home court against everybody in the season. I don't think they're losing the game in Iowa State this year. Uh, they've been undefeated heading into this game, and they're still undefeated to this now, and I don't see them losing the game in their home building. That environment, it's a tough place to play, and you mentioned it, man. Like, Iowa State, it wasn't just what they was doing offensively, because once again, they only scored 68 points. We held them under 70 points, but it's what they did defensively to us. They held Kansas to 50 53 points. The game before this game in Kansas against Kansas State, Kansas scored 90, put up 90 points on Kansas State. 
Iowa State said, hell no with that. We're holding you down to 53 points. And Jalen Wilson well, had almost half, half of those points. He had 26 I've points. Been. No help coming off the bench. Too many turnovers. Iowa State did a great job of denying the entry pass. Would not allow us to kick, kick it down low. They just played great. Hats off to them, man. They're a tough-ass physical team. I, I, was, I was going to say, there's a reason why Iowa State's number 11 in defense. Like, this is what they hang their hat on. They held Kansas to 53 points. Jalen Wilson continues to be the guy for Kansas, 26 points. But again, you know, uh, Joseph Yesifu, eight points off the bench, was the second leading scorer. You got seven from Adams and seven from Dick. McCuller had two. Dewan Harris had two. Didn't hit a three. Kansas goes six of 23 from three, 26%. And the other thing, Iowa State did it without their two top players. Caleb Grill had nine and Gabe Kalser at eight. They were led by Jaron Holmes at 15. Osunini had 13. And they got 10 from Trey King off the bench. Iowa State, the way they lock in defensively, if it turns into a rock fight, Iowa State wins 99% of the time. There's not too many teams in the country that gets in a rock fight with Iowa State and walks out the victors. Kansas had to push, push the pace. Kansas had to hit their threes. They had to open up Iowa State, and they did absolutely none of that. Uh, Corey, talk to us about real quick about Iowa State. And you look at the Big 12 Conference right now. It's getting interesting. Iowa State's at 7-3 and three now. Kansas falls to 6-4. and four. It is starting to look more and more like Kansas is not going to be the regular season champs because Texas – has a one-game lead over Iowa State, and then you have Kansas, Baylor, TCU, and Kansas State all at six and four. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, Jaron Holmes came out in the second half and scored all 15 of his points. You know, Iowa State didn't score a ton of points, but what they had is three guys in double figures, two more with nine points, and a couple, I think, with eight. So, you know, they spread the scoring out. Jalen Wilson, you know, uh, absolutely went off with 26, but Grady Dick, I think this is four straight games now that he's scored under his season average. And just continues to look kind of lost on the offensive end, not really doing a whole lot. And Kansas looks very one-dimensional right now, and Iowa State kind of exploited that. Um, you know, Iowa State locking up on the defensive end, and they look absolutely unbeatable at home. I don't. I agree with Peyton. I don't know if they lose all year there. But uh, the Big 12, you know, we kind of mentioned it. What was it? Episode 132, I think it was, that we kind of talked about how the Big 12 may kind of separate themselves out with the top end, you know, top three, and then, you know, a kind of a middle of the pack and then some really, you know, some bottom feeders. And it's starting to it's kind of starting to show that shape. Um, you know, I think Texas, you know, Texas at what, eight and two, uh, you know, uh, like you said, Iowa State at seven and three. Uh, TCU looks like they're kind of falling apart. They've lost, what, four out of the last five or uh, five out of the last six, I think it was now. Um, they were, what, six losses on the year, and they just kind of look like they're falling off. Um, and I mean, this is a, a very tough conference to try and, you know, keep any kind of string together or try and figure it out. I mean, it's a, it's a, uh, bring your best every day or you, uh, you get embarrassed the way it is. And Kansas was the, uh, the prime example of getting embarrassed on Saturday. Well, I was going to mention on last week's episode uh, about Kansas and it still rings true, you know, in offense and defense, this is for the big 12 conference play only. They rank, they're not first in any category. They're seventh in the conference in offense. They're sixth in effective field goal percentage. They're seventh in offensive rebound percentage, ninth in two point percentage and conference play. They're only shooting 47.8% from inside the arc. Uh, they're fourth and three-point percentage, and on the defensive end, they're sixth in defense. 
They are seventh in turnover percentage. They're not turning teams over in conference play a lot. And in three-point percentage, teams are shooting 35.2% from them in the, or from the three-point line in conference play. Kansas, obviously, we keep talking about them. Jalen Wilson has to go off, but they have to have their complementary players go off. Guys, I'm not just saying this because Kansas is still going to be a one or two seed, depending on how this, this, uh, the rest of the season plays out. But when we get an NCAA tournament time, I don't know if I trust them if they have the wrong, if they're a one seed, if they have the wrong 8-9 matchup, or if they're a two seed and they have the wrong 7-10 matchup. I think Kansas, in their current iteration, could be bouncing the first weekend if they do not have their complementary pieces help out because Wilson's going to get his. But if they don't have the other guys step up, guys, that has upset written all over it. Especially really if they play that's... a team that, sh- especially if they play a team that shoots the three well, they don't. Do you still think well. they? Do you think they still stay as a one or two seed, or do you think they, they're going? Yeah, start they're going to. No, they're going to be your one or two. I think currently think? they're a two seed right now, but yeah, they're going to be your one or two, and they'd have to completely just like tank the rest of the year to fall to like a four or five. So I was thinking more like a three or four, but very potential. But just because it's like, you know, as the Big 12 kind of, you know, if they don't win the regular season Big 12 championship or don't make a deep run in the tournament or in conference tournament, I thought they would. But that's my opinion, too. Uh, I have a love and hate relationship with the Big 12 right now. I love it because come March, I mean, I'm going to trust Kansas because they're going to be battle-tested more than any team in the country outside of the Big 12 conference. And But I hate it because, man, it, is, it doesn't get easy in the Big 12. We got Texas Monday. We got Oklahoma Saturday. Uh, we still got the Wii match with Baylor. We got the last game of the season. We go at Texas in the Moody Center. I mean, this shit don't get easy. And then the Big 12 tournament, I'm in favor. Like, I obviously want to win the Big 12. 12 tournament, but if we lose first round, I wouldn't care because at least to God we get some extra rest heading into March. We might not get in a quote unquote easy game into the first round of the NCAA tournament. And even then, if we get a bad matchup, a guy, a team that hits threes, has a dominant big man down low, then even then, that's really not an easy matchup. Life in the Big 12 this year is ridiculous. Peyton, and you know, this is my professional and like I'm not saying this to spike Kansas whatsoever. I'm just, I look at them. It, let's say, I, I don't know if Penn State's going to make the tournament, but let's just say Penn State gets in as a 10 seed, Kansas is a two, they play second round. That is the worst matchup for Kansas. The way they don't defend the three right now, and Penn State shoots a shit ton of them and has the ability to hit a shit ton, that is a terrible matchup for Kansas. And you know, I, again, I'm not doing it just to review. I'm doing it because I'm looking ahead. If Kansas does not get their complementary pieces figured out and consistent play, I honestly could see them with the right matchup losing the first weekend. Um, let's move on real quick. Let's rapid fire some of these other rivalry week games. Dude, I stay up late to watch this on the West Coast, and I loved it. St. Mary's has the nation's second longest active win streak at 12 games now. They beat Gonzaga. We've said for weeks. I know Phil and I have both said for weeks. Gonzaga loses this game to St. Mary's, and that's exactly what happened. It goes in overtime. St. Mary's beats them 78-70. I just do not trust Gonzaga's backcourt. St. Mary's plays a, a difficult style to go against. They are the nation's fourth best defense in the country. And a guy that's on the national stage right now, the freshman Aiden Mahaney, he goes for 18 points. He had two going into the final, I think like seven minutes of the game, and he scores 16 of his 18 points from basically the seven-minute mark in the second half through overtime. 
took over this game shot after shot, drop an assist, had the assist to um, the big man, uh, I think it was Saxon, to, uh, to send in overtime, took over this game with 18 points. Tremendous. St. Mary's is a difficult team to play against, but Aiden Mahaney was the star of stars, and if you have not watched him, he is the best player in America that nobody knows about. St. Mary's, 78-70, and most importantly, fellas, they are now two games up on Gonzaga in the WCC after Gonzaga lost a few weeks back to Portland, or not Portland, uh, Loyola Marymount. What do we make of St. Mary's, and what do we make of Gonzaga here? Somebody? I think, sorry, I'm looking up St. Mary's remaining schedule. I think St. Mary's clearly wins the West Coast Conference now. They do get the Wii match for last game of the season, February 25th, uh, going at uh, what's it? What's Gonzaga's place the called? Kennel. The Kennel. That's what the it kennel. is. Going at the Kennel. That's going to be a tough one. I think they'll have to win that game. But having a two-game skid, being up two games in the WCC conference is a huge. And uh, I think they win the conference. I think they win it. Even if they lose that Gonzaga game last game of the season, they'll still have a one-game advantage over um, uh, Gonzaga. I think I think they win it. And Gonzaga, man, they defensively. It's the same thing all year. They can't guard on the perimeter. And I thought early on in this game when I was watching before I went to sleep, because I knew I had to be up to uh, record this podcast with you guys. Um, when I was watching, Gonzaga was up eight. I thought defensively they looked pretty solid. Um, offensively they looked good. as one in some offense. Drew Timmy was getting some buckets down low. Uh, Strada was doing what he was doing. But then I guess it, it, it ended up turning into the worst. They couldn't defend. And uh, you mentioned Mahani. I mean, he had 18 points, three, three assists, one rebound, played three. 37 minutes. The same Mary's team defensively, they're a top five defense in the country, and I think they're going to hold the crown on defense. I think they win the WCC. I agree with Peyton on that one. I think uh, I think St. Mary's comes away with the conference wins. In my opinion, I think Gonzaga is going to drop another game somewhere uh, along the route and uh, in conference play as well. Um, you know, the backcourt I just don't have any trust in. I think they're still going to drop another game at some point. I think, uh, you know, Drew Timmy's trying to do a lot to carry the team, but I just, I just don't trust Gonzaga's backcourt. Um, you know, as far as St. Mary's, they're looking better and better. Um, you know, their guard play, what was his name? Uh, my mind just went blank. Aiden Mahaney. John. Yeah, Mahaney. Like, I mean, he just he's going to start making a name for himself. I mean, if he was as dominant as what you say, like, uh, unfortunately, I was a little tapped out as long as well as Peyton and I went to bed early and didn't get to catch the, you know, the game. But I mean, uh, no, I think, I think St. Mary's runs away with the conference this year. Let's rapid fire real quick before we take a commercial break here. Uh, Kentucky gets another win. They beat, uh, I guess you'd call them rival Florida 72, 67 inside Rupp arena late last night. Colin Castleton continues his surge as a star for Florida, 25 points in this ball game for the Gators did everything he possibly could, but it wasn't enough. Kentucky was led by Kaysan Wallace, 20 points in this game. He ended up with three rebounds, two assists, hit some timely shots, got to the rim, went through the chest to Colin Castleton a couple times, scored at the rim. Jacob Toppin, another double-double, 17-10. and 10. He's been really good. C.J. Frederick finally started hitting. Oh, he had 12 points. I think the majority was in the first half. Finally, you know, he had three of six from the three-point line. Wasn't a great game for him. Antonio Reeves played 19 minutes. Four points. Count said that it just wasn't his night. He got beat on the back door too many times. Xavier Wheeler continues to play better now coming off the bench. He played 26 minutes in this game, eight points, three assists. 
Uh, no turnovers. Savir is such a key for this team because if he plays under control like this, knows his role, doesn't turn the basketball over, and his change of pace really changes Kentucky. You look at the Cats defensively here lately. They are locking teams up on this pretty much this win streak where they've won, what, six of the last seven, five of the last six, whatever it is. Um, the Cats are starting to put it together. Oscar didn't have a great game, four points, 15 rebounds fouled out. But if the Cats get Savir to play under control off the bench to change the pace and they get their, their other three, Wallace, Frederick, Reeves hitting shots along with Toppin and Shebley, and then get some production at Livingston. Kentucky can t- continue to make a surge and see what happens getting an NCAA tournament. But good win for the Cats. Any guys' thoughts on that real quick on Kentucky's win over Florida? I think Colin Kalisatin needs some help. I think he's yeah, a fantastic. Absolutely. I think he's a fantastic player. But Kyle Lofton, he had 13 points, but I think he needs more than Kyle Lofton. Um, he needs some help down there, especially in the guard play. Uh, I mean, Myron Jones, he's 20. He played 27 minutes and we had five points. Kentucky, good one from the mat. Did was able to catch some of this game. I thought Kentucky played pretty damn well, despite Florida keeping it close. I think Kentucky did it with all they could defensively to hold them with under 70 points. And, hey, and uh, how about how about the Cats too? For a team, Tyler Hansborough, that can't shoot. You go 5 of 11 from 3 for 45%, 46% if you round up. Yeah, for a team that can't shoot the three ball, huh? Well, you can do it against Florida, but let's see you do it against teams like Alabama because I don't forget the stat I mentioned last week. They don't do it in big games. and I don't know if this was a big game. So hats off to Kentucky. Good one one for them. It it was because both these teams were tied in the conference. Um, They were tied in the conference, and both teams kind of on that bubble. So this was a big game. Speaking of a big game, I got a, another lively game for you. How about Virginia Tech, the Hokies? There you go. Knocking off the Virginia Cavaliers, 74-68. to 68. Man, exit light, inner night. Let's go. Inner Sandman was playing. It was loud. And I tell you what, Virginia Tech, shout out to you, Sean Padula, because that man was a baller in this game. Played 34 minutes, 22 points, 2 assists, 5 rebounds. Hit some big-time shots. And Blacksburg is an underrated place to play at. Tough, physical, and tough environment to play at. And uh, hats off to the Hokies, man. You got it done. You knocked off them dirty Cavaliers. 74-68 in a rivalry game. Hats off to Virginia Tech. You got it done, baby. Fellas, the, the, the key to Virginia Tech is Hunter Couture. When he's healthy, they are a completely different team. He only had 10 points in this game, but his uh, his ability to stretch the floor, control the offense, it, it, they need him to be healthy because when he's healthy, this is what Virginia Tech can be. So uh, I was waiting on one of you assholes to say something there. But <laughs> um, the other one real quick I do want to discuss just real my, quick. because My bad. I wanted to close. Go ahead. Oh no! I was going to say the uh, one other game I wanted to run by you guys was the UConn Georgia or Georgetown game. UConn, you know, playing on the road at Georgetown, a traditionally really bad team in the Big East, and they barely sneaked away with a game, sixty-eight, sixty-two. It was a lot closer than what it even showed there at the end. Uh, but UConn just continues not to look good. Georgetown has one win in conference play in two years, and UConn just can't put them away. Like. You know, Tristan Newton had 15 yeah. points, and it's like, wow. Like, what's what going if, on in UConn right now? Whatever happened to UConn after December started, they need to uh, hit the reset button because they stink. Like, they stink. They're like, bad. 
There's no reason. There's very, no reason you should be keeping it close with George Shaw. I watched a little bit of this game because I messaged you guys. I mean, George Shaw had a chance to win this game. Brandon uh, Murray, from George Shaw had 21 points in this game. They was he was just lighting Gonzaga, uh, not Gonzaga, Connecticut's defense up. And defensively, that was something we talked about why they were so good early on because how they got out and defend. Now they don't defend anymore. Now the guard play isn't as good as it was to begin the season. Sonogo, I think, has took a huge hit. Like he's took a step down. He was. Of the the guy to be to win the play of the year in the Big East. Now he's not looking like that at all. They're in trouble, man. They're really in trouble. The last one I want to touch on before we go to commercial break because I know we got to go. Um, guys, it's probably the worst top twenty-five matchup I've seen all year happened in Knoxville yesterday. Tennessee beats Auburn forty-six forty-three. Yes, that's the final score forty-six forty-three. The teams combined to shoot five. Of 48 from three-point line. Five of 48. They were terrible from three. Tennessee, two of 21. Auburn, three of 27. Auburn had the better three-point shooting percentage with 11%. Like, that is awful. And the the thing of the game here is the refs swallowing the whistle because this game should have potentially went to overtime. Wendell Green got fouled. By Olivier and Kamwa. He was in his cell. No matter how you want to chalk it up, Robbie Hummel screamed about it on the, the call on the game. The guys in the booth screamed about it. However, you want to look at it, he made contact with him. He was the cylinder rule, did not allow the shooter to come down, and the refs absolutely swallowed the whistle. Wendell Green should have been at the foul line with three shots to potentially send this game in overtime. Ugly game, terrible to watch. But that was a terrible missed call. That was a foul 100 times out of 100 times. Auburn got screwed out of a chance to go to overtime. No, 100%. I mean, it was absolutely horrible basketball. The only thing we can say is thank you to the refs for getting us out of there a little bit quicker. But, no, they should have absolutely blew the whistle there. I mean, and thank God they sent us over to Bloomington to watch a really good game. But, no, the, just the overall game was really bad, like, shooting was horrible defense i mean there were so many open threes or open shots that just were missed it was just absolutely absurd you know the opportunities that just were not cashed in on and you know five of 48 from three is what uh 10.5 percent like that's just absolutely horrible to horrible basketball and it was just a rough day in knoxville peyton that was a foul clear as day Oh, 100%. And, this, and the thing is, it doesn't matter where you play the game at. It doesn't matter if it was in Auburn, Tennessee, Alaska. That's a foul every damn day of the week. doesn't matter where you're at. I mean, that Auburn got... They got they got hoes right there, and even the college game day. You mentioned Robbie Hummel screaming about it. This guy that's in the booth screaming about it. Even the college game day hosts, Lafonso Ellis and um, Seth Greenberg, were screaming. I was like, that's a foul, hundred percent. They kept showing the replay in the Indiana Purdue game, and then the Duke North Carolina game. They kept showing the replay of it, and they just kept screaming. How is that not a foul? It's ridiculous. Nah, it's insane. But we're gonna take our one and only commercial break of the show here. Uh, run some ads, pay the bills here, and when we come back, we got some games at the beginning part of the week we want to discuss with you, along with the team of the week, mid-major team of the week. We got more of Everything College Basketball, episode 135, coming right at you after this break. 
What's going on everybody? This is Josh here and I'm here to let you know that we've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets and they are here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek, download their app, and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off of your first purchase. What's going on, everybody? This is Will Tondo, the co-founder of House Enterprise, and I'm happy to announce that the Everything College Basketball podcast is now part of the House of College Hoops Network. We're really excited to bring you some premier college basketball content this season, so check out the website www.house-enterprise.com for all of our content creators, all of our college hoop stuff, and we're excited to get this season rolling. What's going on, everybody? This is Conrad here from Everything Pro Wrestling, here to let you know that Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans, for the fans. Every Monday, we are live at 6.05 Eastern Standard Time with Clash of the Podcast, where you can listen to myself and my tag team partner, Sean Hubbard of Hubbard Wrestling Weekly, talk all the latest and greatest in pro wrestling. You might even find an old school topic or two as well mixed in. And every Wednesday, we go live on YouTube once again with AEW Dynamite post-show coverage. So at 10.05, head on over to the Everything Pro Wrestling channel and talk what we just saw on Dynamite with us. And did I mention that we are on all available audio platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Thank you so much for listening to me. And let's get back to everything college basketball. We appreciate Conrad. We appreciate House of Enterprise and everybody. SeatGeek, go use our SeatGeek code, guys. You'll get the $20 off your first purchase there. Um, basically, we've mentioned before, it pays for the online transactions and all that good stuff. Go use all that. Go check our peoples out. Because if not, you're the twos and we the ones. <laughs> Peyton, our mid-major team of the week this week, it, it you know technically we've mentioned it could be St. Mary's, but I feel like that the WCC in a way like those two teams Gonzaga and St. Mary's are sort of high majors now, so we won't go with St. Mary's even though they're more than more than deserving. I'm gonna go say mid major team of the week this week is Utah State. They had a nice win over New Mexico. They then followed it up beating a Colorado State team. Utah State is now 40th in Ken Palm. They're 19 and five overall. So they are mid-major team of the week. Peyton, our team of the week though, back to the big 12, the Texas Longhorns. Yeah, man, Texas had a very nice shot this week. They knocked off Baylor on Monday night in the Moody Center. And then they go on the road Saturday night against Kansas State. Had to come back from being down, I think, 13 points at one point. Had to come back and scratch and fight and claw their way back. And ended up winning this game in a very close one in uh, the Bramwich Coliseum. I think that's what it's called. In the Octagon of Doom. That's what I'm calling it. Um... Big time win. Listen, it's very difficult in the Big 12 to win two games in a row in one week. Very difficult. And they end up getting it done. Shout out to Texas. They're, they got it done. They're, uh, Ronnie, Taylor, Ronnie Taylor's got this team performing well. They won some games, lost some games, but now they're on a two-game skid. Big two games in a row. They lead the Big 12 conference. Hook them horns, baby. Absolutely. But, Peyton, let's stick with the horns as this nice little segue Monday night, tomorrow evening, or today, if you're listening to this on Monday, um, Texas goes into Allen Fieldhouse. We know Kansas coming off the loss to Iowa State. Texas, as you just mentioned, two big wins. They're leading the conference. 
this is a massive game for both because Texas could really solidify and essentially knock out one of their contenders because if they win this and go three games up on Kansas, I don't see how Kansas gets back in this race. But on the flip side, Kansas wins, pulls the race back even closer. So let's. what do you guys think about this matchup? Texas going into Kansas tomorrow night. I tell you what, I know I just said hook them horns for Texas and the team of the week, but I'm going to say horns down because now you're facing my Jayhawks Monday night and you're facing them in the fog. If this was at the Moody Center, I'd probably go with Texas, but I don't see Kansas losing to Texas in Allen Fieldhouse, especially in a game where they really need to win if they wanted to win the Big 12 regular season uh, title this year. Kansas needs to win this game. Looking at Ken Palm, I mean, the stats for both teams are very, very similar. Um, you look at Texas's offense, they went 13th in offense. Kansas was late 20th. 27th. Very close. Kansas' defense is ranked 16th. Texas' defense is ranked 27th. Both teams are top 30 in both offense and defense. Um, shooting the ball. Texas shoots the ball a little bit less than Kansas does. 33% from three. Kansas shoot about 35 35% from three. Uh, about 36% from three. Uh, so these teams are very similar. I think the key to this game is DeWan Harris because listen to this stat I ended up drawing up about a couple days ago. Since DeWan Harris came to Kansas, Kansas is 17-0 when DeWan Harris scores 10-plus points or more. 17-0. I think that's the key. DeWan Harris needs to be aggressive early, go after guys like Tyrese Hunter, get them in foul trouble, and if he can get some points and really help Jalen Wilson on the scoring load, then I think Kansas can win this game. And Either way, I mean, it's going to be tough. Texas is they're physical and they're tough, man. So I'm going, uh, I'm going a little bit. I'm going a little bit different than you, uh, in my opinion, Peyton. I think uh, I think Kansas uh, just doesn't have the consistency out of you know somebody other than Jalen Wilson, Grady Dixman underperforming. Um, they just don't have a, a clear cut, you know, a second score or second option right now. I think Texas defends way too well. I understand it's a Allen Fieldhouse, but at the same time, I just don't see Kansas picking up this win. I think Texas goes in and picks up a win, sixty. 66 to 59. I think this is a great matchup for Kansas considering that they're at home and they're, we've documented they're undersized compared to other teams around the country and Bill Self's teams historically. So is Texas. You know, Christian Bishop is 6'7. Dylan Mitchell, he plays a limited action, but he's 6'8. They don't really, Dylan DeSue's 6'9, the Vanderbilt transfer, but he doesn't really play that well right now. So it's kind of similar matchups of small ball. So I think K.J. Adams has to have a big game. I think he has to eat on the glass here. But we know what Texas are. Like, they are tough and physical and nasty. They are 27th in defense right now and 13th in offense. They're top 30 in both categories. You know, you look at Marcus Carr and Tyrese Hunter against guys like Jalen Wilson and um, Dewan Harris. I do think it's going to be a matchup of Sir Jabari Rice has been tremendous for Texas this year. He has been outstanding, and I think he's a guy that could go off in this game. But I think for Kansas, you have to – it's, again, you have to have your complimentary guys. Wilson's going to go for 30-plus. Like, we understand he's going to go for – I said it last episode, 25 to 35. That's his range. He's given every night. But you need Grady Dick. You need Kevin McCuller. You need K.J. Adams. You need – Juan Harris to play good in this ball game because Carr and Hunter, Timmy Allen at 6'6", can take you off the bounce, can hit a spot at three. So Jabari Rice, I mentioned, has been outstanding. 
A guy like Christian Bishop for Texas is key as well because he had the key steal in the game against, uh, was it Kansas State yesterday? Yeah, Kansas State to seal the deal in that one. Shot the passing lane, got a steal. This is a very intriguing matchup of two very similar teams here. Um, man, I, I, I'm going to give Kansas a slight edge because it is an Allen Fieldhouse, and I think you will get enough production. But I think a guy like K.J. Adams has to eat the backboard here. He's going to have to have a game where he has 10 and 10. I don't think there's any doubt. He has to have a game where it's at least 10 and 10, a double-double. But I got Kansas winning this in a very tight one, 71 to 70. But I could easily see Texas's backcourt making Kansas turn the ball over and shoot threes that they're not capable of shooting outside of Jalen Wilson. And I could see Texas win this game. But I'm going to say because it's in the fog that the Big 12 race gets tightened back up a little bit and Kansas squeaks out a close one. Yeah, I'm going to go with Kansas. I'm glad you mentioned the size discrepancy because if you look at Texas' starting five compared to Kansas' starting five, this is Texas' starting five. Uh, 6'2", 6'6", 6'6", 6'9". You go to Kansas. 6'1", 6'6", 6'8", 6'7", 6'8". In the Sony Five, Kansas has a size advantage. And that's something in the Big 12 that we don't really get to see very often. Because the majority will face at least one dominant big down low, or will the ones being undersized. But uh, you mentioned uh, Texas backcourt, Marcus Carr and Tyrese Hunter. I think I like the Kansas duo of Dewan Harris and Kevin McCullough slowing them down and forcing both of them to turnovers. You mentioned turnovers for Texas. Kevin McCullough leads the Big 12 in steals per game. Leads the Big 12 in the steals per game. And now he has the, if he guards Tyrese Hunter, who's six foot, Kevin McCullough's six, 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 six. He has the height advantage, and he's quick enough to guard Tyrese Hunter and force him to turn over. This being in the fog, I think Kansas wins this game 73 to, I think, 68. Let's go to. I can't wait for our midweek show to tell you guys I was right since Josh says I'm always wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the Big East Conference on Tuesday evening. The. Tied the co-Big East leaders, Marquette Golden Eagles at 11-2. They're tied with Xavier 11-2. They go to UConn to Stores, Connecticut on Tuesday evening. Connecticut 7-6 in conference, 18-6 overall. We just documented their struggles when they barely squeaked out a win against Georgetown. Fellas, I'm just going to put it bluntly. Marquette's fourth in the nation in offense, 51st in defense. They lead the Big East in offense in most categories. Offense, effective field goal percentage, turnover percentage means they don't turn the ball over in conference. They're number one in two-point percentage with 60%. They're second at three-point percentage at 36.5%. This is a very good, very good Marquette team. Tyler Colick has been outstanding this year for the Golden Eagles. I don't care that it's in Connecticut. I don't trust Connecticut. The only way they win this game is that they just force feed Adama Sonogo, and he has like a 21 and 12 type of night. If not, Marquette wins this game, and I feel like they win it comfortably. I'm going the Golden Eagles to win this game 78 61. I just, I like this Marquette team, and I don't trust Connecticut. Yeah, there's really not much to preview in this game. Connecticut's not good right now. They don't, they don't defend. And we got a guy like Tyler Kolek who's going to play his ass off, hit some shots. And I don't think Connecticut's guards are going to be able to contain him at all. Sonogo, like you mentioned, he's going to have to go for like a 20 and 21 and 12 type of a game. But I think he's capable of doing that. But he lately hasn't played well. Marquette wins this game pretty handily. Pretty handily. I think they win this game by seven points or more. 
I uh, I happen to agree with you guys. The biggest thing that I have to say is we're in the month of February. February means that UConn is just really bad right now. Um, I don't know what's going on up there, but I think Marquette's just playing way too good at basketball. I mean, they're they're tied at the top of a tough conference uh, with Xavier, and you know UConn just very very bad uh, overall. It doesn't matter where this game's at. Uh, UConn just is, doesn't have a chance. They couldn't even, you know, really run away from a very, very bad Georgetown team. I think I think Marquette wins at 81-66. Staying in the Big tw- – or going back to the Big 12, should I say, on Tuesday evening, you got TCU going on the road to Kansas State. You mentioned it, Corey. TCU has lost, what, one, two, three, four, five of their last – seven eight nine five of their last nine and they go to kansas state both teams are tied at six and four in the conference again like i mentioned with kansas they lose this is pretty much an eliminator game you can't go back three or games or more in the big 12 with a handful of games remaining tcu struggling we know how good mike miles and damian ball have been chuck o'bannon and eddie lampkin's been fine but kansas state and octagon and doom Despite losing yesterday to Texas there, you just don't go in there too often and win. But Kansas State's lost two this week. They dropped the Kansas and the Texas game. I think this is a get-right game for Kansas State. Keeps their hopes alive of a Big 12 regular season crown. We've talked about it. I love Marcus Noel and Keontae Johnson. They are going to need help from their other guys, uh, Naquan Tomlin and Desi Sills. You know, you look at Kansas State, they're 25th in defense. They defend the three-point shot really well. Teams are only shooting 29% on them. That's 12th in the nation. Um, I don't think TCU right now, the way they're playing, can manufacture enough offense. I got K-State winning this one. Fairly comfortable at the end by about a nine-point spread. So I'm going to say Kansas State wins this game 82-73. And I think K-State continues their hopes of a Big 12 regular season crown. I love Noel Johnson. I'm going to make a bold prediction. I say both of them combine for 60-plus points. Go ahead, Coy. That's very bold. Uh, you mentioned it perfectly there. TCU is just not in a good place. I think they are uh, going to continue slipping. I think this uh, this is their elimination day of a regular season championship. I think Kansas State uh, gets right. I think Kansas State has the players that step up, and I think this one goes uh, Kansas State's way. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit higher than you. I think it's going to be a uh, 78-64 game. TCU's chances of winning the Big 12 this year are starting to dwindle. I mean, they're two-game stretch this week. They got, obviously, the game that we're talking about now against Kansas State Tuesday night. Then they go against Baylor uh, Saturday night. And they're two games out of the Big 12 Big Twelve uh, title race out of first place. But they got to get at least one of these games if they want to keep their chances up. I really don't think they're going to do it. Mike Miles, if he's not back for this game, then they're in trouble. Mike, With Mike Miles on this team, TCU's, I think, is a top-four team in the Big 12. Without Mike Miles, I think TCU's back to being late pack, mid pack in the Big 12 Conference. It's just the way it is. Uh, Kansas State wins this game. They hold home court. Uh, they get a job done. I think 81 to 70. Couple more early week clashes. Let's go back to the Big 10 here. Indiana gets their return match against Rutgers. If you remember, they went to Rutgers back on December 3rd and took their first loss of the year down there in Rutgers and lost 63 48. Got completely embarrassed, pants pulled down, but Indiana since then has been on a nice win streak. They're winners of one, two, three, four, five, six of their last seven. 
Uh, what do we think about this? It's in Assembly Hall. Ken Palm favors the Hoosiers 68-66. Corey, I'll let you take this one. Uh, you said the magic word. It's in Assembly Hall. Uh, on top of that, we do have Trace Jackson Davis, and Trace Jackson Davis is playing like a whole new man compared to what he played uh, back in that December 3rd matchup. Um, you know, the biggest thing is Indiana just did not play very well that night. They didn't hit shots. They turned the ball over. Uh, they just look like they're completely off uh, after coming off of a couple of good uh, marquee wins. Uh, they weren't ready for Big Ten basketball to start up. Uh, Malik Renu, uh, Jalen Hotsafino uh, were kind of eye-opened at that matchup. Um, and since then, they've kind of settled into their own home. Trey Galloway stepping up. Um, I think overall, Indiana rights the ship and splits the season series. I think Ken Palm has it a little bit low. Uh, Indiana loves to score a lot of points. Um, I think they're shooting the ball extremely well. I think they're going to come out and play a lot better. Uh, I'm going to take Indiana going up. Uh, I think, you know, Rutgers still hangs close, but I think Assembly Hall is going to show up and rock out because they know exactly what Rutgers did to uh, Purdue at home. I think Indiana takes the win. Uh, I'm going to go 81. I think that 80 point is the magic number. I think it's 81 to 70. Well, Peyton, real quick before you hop in, uh, you look at this matchup, and I think a key matchup is Cliff Amorier versus Trace Jackson Davis. Cliff Amorier is his ability to pull guys out, defend the rim. You look at Rutgers in conference play. They rank number one in five of the nine defensive categories. They're number one in overall defense, number one in effective field goal percentage, number one in turnover percentage. They're turning teams over in conference play 19.8% of possessions. They're number one in they're number one in the conference and defending the two-point shot. They're number one in steals. They're number three in blocks. Indiana for a team, percentage-wise, they shoot the three good, but they don't take a lot. Their offense is revolving around getting the ball inside the paint. Rutgers defends that area better than anybody in conference play. Also, Rutgers is second in the Big Ten right now at eight and four. Indiana, Maryland, Illinois, Iowa, all right behind them at 7-5. Indiana wins this. They will pull level with Rutgers for a tie in second place in the conference. This is a huge game for a lot of different reasons. So because of that, I think the key is Indiana hitting enough threes to spread Rutgers out. I'm not saying they have to hit a lot because Indiana doesn't take a lot. But if they take, let's say, 15 threes, I think they need to hit at least six or seven of them to make Rutgers play out and open the lane up. Because, again, Rutgers defends the painted area so damn well. We talk about steals. We talk about blocks. All that good stuff. Indiana can't settle for bad shots. They can't turn the ball over. They're going to have to hit some threes. So this is where a guy like Jalen Hitchapino has to be at his best. Trey Galloway, Tamar Bates. The backcourt's going to win this game because I think TJD is going to put up numbers again. Indiana's backcourt has to be good. But because it's in Assembly Hall and they're riding a big wave right now, Indiana squeaks this one out. Uh, 72-68. Corey, what was your scoreline again? 81-70. Okay. Um, I think this is a trap game from Indiana, especially coming off of a huge, a huge win against Purdue, knocking off the number one team in the country in a rivalry game in a Simmer Hall on Saturday night. Um... I think that Indiana wins this game because, like Coley mentioned, it is in Assembly Hall, and they do got Trace Action Davis, and we are playing better than what they did in the first matchup between these two teams. But I think it's a little bit closer than what he's saying. I think if if Indiana does 
win like a 10-point game. I think it's because they stretch it out late hit some free throws. Um, but I think it's a close game all the way around. I think IU wins this game. I think, like Josh said, it's going to be low, a little bit low scoring. I say 70-65 to 65, Indiana wins. And then the last one, staying on Tuesday night, we have a bunch on Super Tuesday. Let's go to the SEC Conference. This one preseason we thought would be for the conference race. It's not shaking out that way, but both teams are starting to play a little bit better, and conference standings matter. We look at the SEC right now, Alabama 10-0, Tennessee and Texas A&M 8-2. Then you have Auburn, Kentucky at 7-3, and and then a little bit behind them is Arkansas at 5-5. This is a big-time game inside Rupp Arena on uh, Tuesday evening. The Cats desperately need this because Arkansas is pretty much in the tournament based on what they did on in November, December. Kentucky needs this to continue to build a resume to get a better seed line, to secure a tournament spot, all this stuff that goes into it. The Cats, we've mentioned them the last three weeks, have been a lot better ball team since the South Carolina loss. I want to hear your guys' thoughts before I give mine. We know Arkansas is down Nick Smith and um, – Trevon Brazil. I want to hear you guys' thoughts and keys on this one. I mean, I think it's simple. I think Kentucky wins. They hit some shots. I think Antonio Reeves has a nice, solid game. CJ Fire could be able to help out with that as well. And Oscar Shebway. Kentucky has Oscar Shebway. Arkansas don't. I think uh, I think Kentucky wins this game pretty handily. I think Kentucky wins 75 or 78 to, I think, 68. I think the biggest thing is, is just, you know, Arizona, or Arkansas. Well, I can't. I don't even know where I got Arizona. Arkansas is, you know, missing a couple key players that are out for injury for the entire season. I think Kentucky's starting to right the ship. I think they're even further around the corner and uh, continue to improve. I think they're going to be in my top 25 this year or this week on voting. Um, they continue to get better. Uh, Antonio Reeves hits a couple of shots. Uh, they have Oscar down low. I think, you know, Kentucky runs away with this one a little bit at home. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go 76 to uh, 67. Well, here's the thing: Kentucky ain't running away from anybody this year. They're gonna play a lot of close games. Um, if you look at tempo, Kentucky's dead last in the SEC in offensive tempo. They they want to grind you out. Arkansas's third. They want to take quick shots and get up and down the floor. So I think the couple keys: transition. If Kentucky can limit Arkansas, make them play a half court style. Obviously, ball screen defense. Arkansas is going to put Kentucky and Oscar Shebe in a lot of pick and roll action. And then I think Kentucky does need to hit some shots on the offensive end. Kaysan Wallace, CJ Frederick, Antonio Reeves, Jacob Toppin, even Chris Livingston, all those guys have to hit shots and make them good shots, not contested. So that way Oscar can do his thing offensive rebounding wise. This is going to be a close game because Kentucky, like I mentioned, doesn't pull away from anybody in the country right now. But I do think when it's all said and done, the Cats figure out a way to get a much-needed win to put them at uh, eight and three in the conference. Potentially a tie for second depends what happens with Auburn, uh, Tennessee, and Texas A&M ahead of them. I think Cats figure out a way to get this win. Probably an ugly game. Not gonna lie, probably a very ugly game. So I say Kentucky wins this one, seventy-one sixty-six. Um, any other early week games, real quick? I think that pretty much covers all the the major ones, right? Yeah, I pretty much So let's go. Let's round this show out. Let's go into bank on it. And I'm going to start because the game, one of the games we did not mention for good reason, Wednesday night, Iowa State goes to West Virginia in a Big 12 tilt. Iowa State's a completely different team away from home. And we've screamed how important home court is all year this year. West Virginia is starting to play a little bit better. Not great, 
not bad, but a little bit better. Um, let me check their Big 12 rankings real quick here. Um, they are three and seven in conference play, so yeah, not the greatest, but still have a chance to make an NCAA tournament. I'm going to go West Virginia as my bank on an upset here. I just think there's something about in Morgantown on a Wednesday night. Iowa State's not the greatest away from home. I'm going my bank on it. West Virginia takes down Iowa State Wednesday night. Go ahead, Coy. I'll go last. Man, um, honestly, Peyton, go ahead. I got to think on this now. <sighs> Son of a bitch. Okay. Um... I got two bank ones this week. Both of them on Tuesday. First one, Missouri takes on South Carolina. And let me just say, if Gigi Jackson plays in this game, which I don't think he should, I think he should be done for the rest of the season, set his ass. If he does play in this game, bank going to he's held to 10 points or less. You want to talk all that shit about your coach and how you don't get uh, plays drawn up for it? Guess what? Now you're going to get shut out by Missouri at Missouri. It's a tough-ass place uh, to play at. So, good luck on that. So, bank on it. He gets held. If he does play, he gets held to under 10 points or more. And the other bank on it, Tuesday night. I'm going to keep on playing while I listen to this. NC State goes into number 6 Virginia. And takes down the Cavaliers. Wolfpack, baby. Tukadian Smith like goes it. off. Tukadian Smith goes off. Has a great game. Casey Lossell. Jacoa Joyner. Virginia's guards can't keep up with those guys. Wolfpack knocks off Virginia. And and when Bank they do, order. when they do, that definitely solidifies their NCAA tournament team. Hundred percent. Bank on it. All right. Go ahead and turn that off. Corey. All right, my bank on it. Well, one of the teams that uh, you mentioned that Kentucky needs a, a loss from, Auburn. Uh, bank on it. They lose both games this week by 10-plus. Oh, I love it. That would be sweet uh, just for selfish reasons. Uh, let's go into shout-outs. I'm going to do mine real quick. Aiden Mahaney, I mentioned him. That dude played phenomenal. He is a star in the making from uh, St. Mary's. 18 points. I told you the 16 late in the game to take over the Gonzaga game. He's also had game winners and big shots earlier in the year. He had a game winner against BYU. He's had huge shots. He is a star in the making. Keep your eye out. He looks like a pro player. I'm not even going to lie. He looks like a pro player that could play in an NBA system. Aiden Mahaney, watch that dude if you ever get a chance to watch St. Mary's. He is fun as hell, and I think he's going to be huge in the NCAA tournament game. Zeke Mayo from South Dakota State yesterday, 41 points, five assists, three rebounds, two steals in the win over North Dakota State. Uh, Zeke Mayo. And then my other shout-out is a collection. Shout-out to the coaches that were on the hot seat this year. Brad, uh, Brad Brennell, um, uh, I just lost to Pittsburgh, uh, Jeff Capel. All the coaches that were potentially going to get fired this year, there were rumblings of them. They have shown up and shown out and probably going to have NCAA tournament teams. When your job's on the line, baby, you got to step up. And how about the coaches like Jeff Capel, Brad Brunell, Kevin Keats from uh, North Carolina State. Shout out to the ACC hot coach guys or hot seat guys. Uh, two shots this week. Um, one of them is going to be like three different teams for one shot out. Shout out to everybody who won the rivalry games this week, especially on Saturday night. Shout out to Indiana for beating Purdue. Shout out to Virginia Tech for beating Virginia. And shout out to Duke for beating North Carolina. All three of those teams won the game. And guess what? All three of those teams held home court while they beat their biggest rivals. So shout out to all of them. Hats off to them. 
Last shot goes to the women's side of college basketball. The best women's college basketball player probably I've seen in a very long time, maybe just in my lifetime, Caitlin Clark of the Iowa women's basketball team. I don't remember what game she did this to. I don't even know if this was even this week. I'm pretty sure it was. But even if it wasn't, I don't give a damn. I'm shouting her out anyways. Caitlin Clark of Iowa women's basketball is the only Division One player, male or female, in the last 20 years to score 40-plus points, grab 7-plus rebounds, dish out 7-plus assists, shoot 60% from the field, and shoot 90% from the line all in one game. She is a legit baller, and man, she's so fun to watch. So shout-out to her. Corey, you're next. Yeah, you know, my shout out number one, Trey Galloway. Huge, uh, huge game, especially down the stretch, hitting some key free throws, hitting a couple runners, uh, especially one uh, our little floater right, uh, right beside Zach Eady, not not being afraid of the seven foot four monster down low. Uh, huge game for him. Stepped up to the plate and really took advantage of it. Uh, that was my number one. Number two is shout out to uh, Max Shulga uh, out of Utah State. Uh, dealt with a little bit of uh, adversity in the game against Colorado State. Had uh, had the student section from Colorado State yelling Russia at him as he's a Ukrainian-born uh, college basketball player. Uh, came in, played strong, had nine points, six assists, uh, and helped uh, helped you know lead the uh, lead kind of the charge uh, for Utah State to knock off Colorado State. So shout out to him, uh, staying strong, taking adversity, and kind of using it as fuel and uh, continuing to push for the win. And then shout-out to Peyton, um, you know, for still, you know, admitting that Indiana was there, giving their shout-out to Indiana also for getting that win after he was incorrect in his prediction last week. So shout-out to Peyton, uh, you know, even though he dealt with both of his teams losing. Uh, listen, Actually, man. sorry, what was it? What was it? Some of those Purdue fans said your 77 teams or whatever to pick one. Uh, they, told me, they told me hashtag yeah. pick a team. So I picked yeah, IUPUI because yeah, so. I got the same amount of titles as Purdue does. So kiss my ass, kiss my ass on that. One thing before we hey. stay on the Indiana game, great shout-outs, by the way. One thing I will say about the Indiana game that we forgot to mention, no shout-out goes to whoever's the dumbass fans for throwing shit on the court oh, in that game. Oh, no, Whoever the hell that was, yeah. that pisses me off more than the uh, court rushing 100%. does. Because that is embarrassing. Yeah. Don't do that shit. Will, You're yes. a dumbass. They were going yes, to us. They had to come over to the PA and said that we were going to assess yeah. a technical foul to Indiana. Yeah. And this yeah. is the stretch Purdue was making the run. Yeah. Yes. And uh, the worst part was it didn't happen just once. It happened more than it happened twice in the game. The yeah. best part was is the students literally turned around and started pointing to whoever was doing it and wanted them out of there. So 100% like I'm happy to see that, that the Indiana fans were not hey. or the student section was not and, accepting of it. And, and I mean, I'm going to whisper here because I know nobody can hear me. Um, this is confirmation too that um, all those Indiana people that years ago that said Kentucky was making all that stuff up about how they were treated at Assembly Hall. I think this is pretty much confirmation that they were telling the truth, right? I think that's a wild accusation. No, whoa, whoa, hold on, time out. Because college kids then were way different. College kids now love to have fun and just, yeah. you know, you can't, you can't, they don't care. So, no, that was completely different. Like, college kids now just want to have fun and want to party. So, you can't put that. Like, that was Corey, a thing. Corey, game has changed, man. And I'm also disappointed you didn't give me a shout-out for being the best shooter you've ever seen in your life. When Yo, we go to I would, man. Oh, yeah. All right, all right. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can't. I can't give you all the love, and you know, one. Hey, man, you let the viewers chat. know, man. You let the listeners yeah. know that when we go ball, man, I stroke, I light yeah. it up. 
I almost took a dude who, uh, no offense to him, but he wasn't the best. And we almost beat you and another really talented dude single-handedly because I had the majority of the points. But that's neither here nor there. Keep on well, gloating. You've been doing it all it was right, also, so keep on It was gloating. also a black hole that every time the other dude on my team touched the ball. I went and stood down low because I knew the ball was going up. So no matter how – the best part was it was a two-on-one game because Josh sagged off of me so bad that he went over and helped him, and I just stood there looking around the gym. So Hey, that's – um, now you know how Amundo Biquette feels when Kale loves shooting all this stupid yeah. shit. <laughs> <laughs> wrapping this thing up about the Utah State thing, why is it always that the racist, like stupid shit happens in either Colorado or Utah? Like, you look yeah. at the Utah Jazz, the way their fans are saying stupid stuff, or it's color. It's one of those two states that does the dumb shit, and I don't understand it. Yeah. But what I do understand is we had – I feel like we had a good show here. Uh, congratulations to the Hoosiers, to the Blue Devils, to the Cyclones, Wildcats, and everybody who won this week. Thank you guys for listening. Hopefully this upcoming week we have the full team back. Phil, I think, will be rejoining us for at least one, if not both. So it's nice to have the full gang back. But until the midweek, episode 136, I hope you guys have enjoyed the rest of your weekend. Or if you're listening to us on Monday, enjoy your work day. Make sure you power through it and get the job done. Please, Milan, beat Inter in the Derby della Mondanina today. But until episode 136. Here comes six Peyton, goals. For Peyton, for Corey, and myself, <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed this, and we will catch you down the road. I had to make sure and slide that little thing in there. My bad.